you so much, choir. Open your Bibles again, please, to Revelation chapter 2 this morning. And today, God willing, we're going to finish up this chapter as we look at the message uh, sent to the fourth of the seven churches. And while you're finding your place, I got to thinking about our study of this book so far. And for those of us who've been here throughout the study, uh, throughout the series, you might be a little bit surprised to realize just how strong uh, some of these messages that Jesus sent to these churches uh, really are. With his penetrating eyes, he sees the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he mentions it all, and he talks about it all. And uh, he also gives encouragement for the good and encouragement to the overcomers. And as we look at these uh, churches, we've tried to also look at our church and uh, look at Red Hill Baptist Church. And we've been holding up Red Hill Baptist Church beside the church at Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos. And today we'll hold it up beside the church of Thyatira. And I hope you've been impressed with the fact that we need to get this right. I mean, when we look at these messages to the churches, we need to get these things right. It's important to have truth and love. It's important to have right belief and right behavior. It's important not only stand for the truth, but also to live out the truth. <clears throat> and I hope you've been impressed with the fact of just how bad things can be. To see that churches can get in a royal mess. Uh, to see that things can get awful in a church. And we're going to see that uh, today at Thyatira. Uh, to see that a group of people can start behaving in a way that's totally contrary uh, to God's word and to God's will, to see that people can start accepting behaviors and lifestyles and beliefs that totally deny God's word. But, you know, we can look around our own world today and see that happening, can't we? We can see worldliness and sin infiltrating the church all around us, accepting things and practicing things and teaching things that are not biblical. Uh, they're not uh, according to God's word. And we're not talking about gray issues. We're not talking about those things we're not sure about. We're talking about black and white things that we know are plain in Scripture. Uh, churches are denying them. And they're going against them. And they're promoting them. Uh, and while we may sound like a broken record, it's important to believe right. Because our belief impacts our behavior. What we believe will impact how we behave. And the church before us today is the church of Thyatira. And it has some good things going for it, and it has some very bad things uh, going on in it. Now, as you look at chapter 2, I want to let you know that Thyatira was actually the smallest city of the seven churches uh, that make up these uh, two chapters. It's the smallest city, but it receives the longest letter, the longest uh, message from the Lord Jesus. And perhaps it was the smallest church as well. Uh, we're not certain, but it was in the smallest city, so it possibly could have been the smallest church. And if so, it's a good reminder that whether a church is large or small, it's still important to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's also a reminder that because a church is small, uh, that doesn't mean that Jesus just overlooks that church. Uh, whether we're talking about the good things or the bad things. So now that you've found your place and we're looking at the church of Thyatira this morning, let's go ahead and read the message beginning at verse 18. And we'll read to the end of chapter 2. We'll finish up chapter 2 today. As you look at Jesus' message, if you have a red letter Bible, you notice this is all in red. These are the words of Jesus to this local church at Thyatira. And here's what he says beginning at verse 18. And to the angel, or literally the messenger, we believe the pastor, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more 
than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, beloved, if you've been reading along, if you've been following along, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you can see that this letter follows pretty much the same pattern as the other letters. Jesus establishes his authority, who he is, and some of his characteristics. Then he mentions the good things, if there are good things to mention. Then he mentions the bad things. And then he provides a remedy to get those bad things corrected. And then he gives words of encouragement at the end to those who are overcomers. And so I want to dive in here today and see what we can learn from this passage. I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus is the chief investigator, the judge, and the jury. Jesus is the chief investigator, the judge, and the jury when it comes to the churches. Look at verse 18 again. It says very clearly, These things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. He wastes no time identifying himself. He's the Son of God. He wastes no time identifying some of his characteristics. Uh, that is, uh, he is the, the one with the flaming, uh, flaming fiery eyes and, and uh, feet of fine brass. And it's the only place in Revelation where he calls himself the Son of God. This authority that he has. And these uh, eyes of fire and these feet like brass, it goes back and reminds us of that vision that John had in chapter 1. Remember in chapter 1, John sees a vision of the glorified Lord Jesus. And in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he says this about Jesus. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as refined in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. The eyes are penetrated. They're all seeing. Nothing is hidden from him. Uh, nothing is covered up from him. He sees all. He knows all. Uh, he sees the outward appearance. He sees the inward appearance. His eyes are like a flame of fire penetrating. He sees all. And the feet of brass here obviously speak of judgment. He talks about judgment later on in this letter. And so this is why I said that Jesus is the chief investigator, the judge, and the jury. He does not have to consult anybody else. He's in the midst of the churches. When he looks at the church of Thyatira, when he looks at Red Hill Baptist Church, when he looks at any church... He sees all, he knows all, he's the chief investigator, he's the judge, and he's the jury. And his judgment is always perfect, it is always right, and he has to consult no other uh, in regards to it. Now when he looks at this church in Thyatira with these penetrating eyes, he finds a church that has a lot of good stuff going on. There was a lot of good things going on at Thyatira. And we notice, secondly this morning, that Jesus commends them for their service and love. He talks about these good things there in verse 19. 
It says, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the first are more than the last. Now, what, what do we find out about this church of Thyatira? Well, first of all, it was a working church. He says, I know your works. Obviously, there, were no, there was no dust under their feet. They were busy laboring. They were busy working. They were a working church. We find they were also a loving church. He says, I know your love. Uh, their, their labor was motivated by love. They did it out of a heart of love. We find that they were a serving church. They had a servant's heart about them. It wasn't just drudgery. It wasn't just the motions. They were serving. They were laboring out of a heart of love. We find it was a faith-filled church. That is, I know your faith. They were people of faith. It was a persevering church. Um, he says, I know your perseverance. They didn't give up. They didn't go back. They didn't turn around. They didn't quit. They kept on going. We find it was a maturing church. You say, where do you see that, preacher? Well, it says, as far as your works, the, the last there uh, are more than the first. In other words, they were growing. They were maturing in their works. They were maturing in their faith. They were maturing in their labors. And we should be as well. Now, imagine the encouragement this was for the church at Thyatira. They receive a letter from the Lord Jesus through John. And the Lord Jesus says, listen, I'm the Son of God. I have penetrating eyes of fire. I have fine feet of brass, speaking of judgment. But here's what I know about you, Thyatira. Here's what I know about you folks. All these wonderful things. Can't you imagine the encouragement that was to them? That this was Jesus' assessment. Um, we would love to get such an assessment, wouldn't we? For Jesus to say, listen, Radio Baptist Church, I know all about your works and your love and your service and your faith and your perseverance and so forth. And that you're growing and you're maturing in your faith. And we say, all right, yeah. But sad to say, the assessment doesn't stop there, does it? There's another word that comes in the next verse. And it's that word that we kind of dread as we read these letters, isn't it? The word nevertheless. Nevertheless. Which brings us to our third point this morning, and that's this. Jesus condemns their acceptance of Jezebel and her false teaching. He condemns their acceptance of Jezebel and her false teaching. Now, beloved, this is a reminder that we need to get things right in the church. Not just some things. See, Jesus doesn't grade on the curve. He didn't say, well, listen, you're doing all these wonderful things, and I'm happy with those things, and I, I give you an A-plus on all that. And listen, I know you've got this issue here with Jezebel and her false teaching and all, but I'm just going to say, I'm going to overlook that, and I'm going to say, hey, everything's fine, and we're going to rejoice and be happy. No. Out of a heart of love, Jesus would not allow that to go on. He wanted to warn them. He wanted to deal with them. He wanted them to correct some things in their church. So he listened. He points out the good. Here are the good things. But here's something that's wrong in the church. And he points out a wickedness infecting this local body of believers. That's why I say it's amazing. You look at this as a church. I want you to see what's going on. Let's look at those verses again, 20 through 23. Listen to what it says. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I, and I gave her time to repent, Jesus says. To repent of her sexual morality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one according to your works. Now, I want you to put yourself in a seat there at church Thyatira. And the Lord Jesus just said those words to you. Those are strong words. 
Those are powerful words. Those are alarming words, to say the least. In fact, it sounds a lot like last week's message to Pergamos, doesn't it? Last week we studied the church at Pergamos, and in verse 14 it says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual morality. The very same things going on in Pergamos or going on in Thyatira. Idolatry and immorality. And last week we were reminded of the Old Testament person by the name of Balaam. Remember, Balaam was the prophet out to make a prophet. The man who spoke to a donkey. Uh, the man who gave counsel to turn the children of Israel uh, against uh, the Lord through uh, intermarriage and uh, idolatry and immorality uh, and so forth. And today we're reminded of one of the worst characters in the Old Testament, that woman Jezebel. And as we're studying Revelation, it reminds us all, doesn't it, that just like any book, we need to begin in the, in the beginning. A lot of people want to jump around. They get saved or whatever. They get excited about the Bible. Let's go to Revelation. But really, we need to go back to Genesis, don't we? And read from the beginning because we're finding that we need to have the grasp of the Old Testament to understand the New Testament in these areas, right? Because when you just read Revelation, you say, well, who is Balaam? Well, if you go back in the Old Testament, you read about Balaam. Well, who is Jezebel? You go back to the Old Testament, you read about Jezebel. Now, just her name brings up darkness, doesn't it? That woman, Jezebel. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've never met anyone personally named Jezebel. You know, one of the joys I have as a pastor is to go and visit all the new babies in the hospital. And I want you to imagine me walking into a hospital room. And there is a lovely family from Red Hill Baptist Church. And the mother just gave birth to a beautiful little girl. And I go in, I mean, I'm excited to meet them. I, I take a little testament to the church, and we're excited about it. And, and uh, we take them a gift or whatever. And we go in, and, and, and they say, well, preacher, would you like to hold the baby? Now, they're first-time parents, so I put on my hazmat suit and my gloves, and I struggle sometimes. ten times. They're first-time parents. And um, I said, I'd love to hold your baby. And so I hold the baby, and I look at her, and I say, what's your name? And they look at me and say, Jezebel. <laughs> Now, I'm a pastor. I've got to be very pastorly in what I say, right? But how do I cover the horror and shock that they just named a little girl Jezebel? And they, then they tell me they want to have more children. And my mind, my mind starts racing. They've named the first one Jezebel. I just see years down the road. There they are lined up. They say, I want to introduce you to my family. Here's our first, our oldest daughter, Jezebel. And next we had twin boys. We named them Hitler and Nero. <laughs> then along came another little girl. We named her Delilah. And finally, here's our little bouncing baby boy. We named Lucifer. I mean, think about this. He said, nobody would do that, right? Nobody would name their child Jezebel. At least tonight. Now, we live in a crazy world. I'm sure somebody somewhere has named their daughter Jezebel. But I've never met Jezebel. Why? Because her name alone brings up an image, doesn't it? Wickedness and evil. She was a wicked, heinously evil woman uh, married back to King Ahab. And uh, I say all that, first of all, to do a pulse check to see if you're still alive and awake. Some of you passed. Some of you I'm still wondering about. But secondly, to prove a point, we don't name children after people like Jezebel and Judas Iscariot and Nero and Hitler and so forth because of the connection. And likewise, we find that uh, when someone is likened to Jezebel, it means something very plain, doesn't it? It means that they themselves are wicked and evil and carry forth that. Just the mention of her name. Can you imagine a, a, a setting here where we're going to have a child dedication service? We say we come today to dedicate little baby Jezebel to the Lord. It doesn't sound right, doesn't it? 
Now, here's the point, beloved. I don't believe the lady that's being talked about here in this church was literally named Jezebel. I don't think that was her literal name. The Lord Jesus calls her Jezebel because she's like Jezebel. She stands for what Jezebel stood for. She, she lives like Jezebel. And we're not going to do a big study on the Old Testament Jezebel, but we want to see what we can learn from this New Testament Jezebel, whatever her literal name was. At this church in Thyatira, there was a false teacher, a woman, called, uh, who called herself a prophetess. Jesus didn't call her a prophetess. I don't know if anybody else called her a prophetess, but it says there in verse 20, that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. So she says, listen, I'm a prophetess. Now let's learn what we can about there. First of all, she's a self-proclaimed messenger. She says, I am a prophetess. Be careful of self-proclaimed prophets and prophetesses. Be careful of them. She self-proclaimed. Secondly, she taught and seduced, Jesus says, my servants to commit sexual immorality. Think about this. She calls herself a prophetess. She's teaching and she's leading people into sexual immorality in the church. Thirdly, she led them into idolatry. Worshipping false gods. Fourth thing we learned is she was given time to repent by Jesus. Jesus gave her time to get right. And by the way, the Lord wants people to get right. He wants them to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants them to be saved. He wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants them to have uh, hope and eternal life. But he will not force them. But he gave this self-proclaimed prophetess, this false teacher, time to repent. But she would not repent. She was stubborn in her sin. She was not going to repent. And so we find the Bible says, and Jesus says, listen, I'm going to greatly judge her. And not only her, I'm going to judge those who follow her unless they repent. So Jesus is very clear. He's very gracious in this. I gave her time to repent. She won't repent. I'm going to judge her. I'm going to judge those that follow her unless they repent. But he gives an opportunity for them to repent. And then he says she would be an example what Jesus would do to all the churches that Jesus will not put up with this kind of wickedness. It says there in verse 23, I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Jesus says, I'm going to use this as an example to all the churches to understand that I will not tolerate this kind of evil. Now, as bad as all that is, here's the clincher. Go back to verse 20 and you see the worst thing of all, I believe. Verse 20 says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because, what's the next two words? You allow. You allow that woman Jezebel to carry on her immoral, idolatrous, false teaching in the church house. This church, beloved, they did not oppose her. They did not remove her. They did not censor her. They did not discipline her. They tolerated her and they allowed her to teach And to proclaim this immorality and this idolatry and lead people into these evil areas. They allowed her to carry on her evil work. And this wrong teaching abounded and with it became became along the wrong behavior. Wicked teaching led to wicked practices. You know, we called Pergamos the tolerant church last week, remember? They tolerated false teaching. Uh, the, the doctrine of Balaam, the doctrine of Nicolaitans. We could have called Thyatira the, the tolerant church as well. We're going to call it the worldly church instead, though. They were tolerant, yes, but I'm going to call them the worldly church. And here's why. Once you understand what things were like at Thyatira, I think you'll begin to put together in your mind the picture of what was going on there. 
Lawson said Thyatira was also a blue-collar working town, which had numerous trade guilds. You had carpenters and dyers and merchants and cloth makers and other trade workers had organized fraternal guilds, much like our labor unions today. You remember before you get Revelation, you read about Thyatira and a lady from Thyatira in the book of Acts. Lydia, the seller of purple, she was from Thyatira. So you had all these trade guilds, much like our labor unions today. And he said these trade guilds were so strongly unionized, it was almost impossible to make a living in Thyatira without being a card-carrying member of one of those trade guilds. So if you were going to do business in Thyatira, you pretty much had your hands tied. You were going to become a member of one of those trade guilds. Well, here's the problem. Each guild had its own pagan deity. And he says, after hours, the members were expected to attend guild festivals. And these included a feast of eating food offered to their idol and plunging into the vilest sexual orgies. All this was like combining a labor union with a trade guild and a college fraternity. Now put that in your mind. And when you put all that together, you begin looking at this false teacher and looking at the city they're living in. And looking at what the city's famous for, all these trade guilds, can't you imagine how all this played out in Jezebel's teaching? In other words, she's willing to mix Christianity and idolatry and immorality that serve her purposes. Why not have both? Why not be a member of the church? Why not have all these things? And why not have your cake and eat it too? Sure, sing away to Jesus on Sunday. But when it comes to Monday, live for yourself. Don't become too fanatical. It may cost you your job. It may cost you your trade. It may cost you your living. Your family be hungry out in the streets. Listen, sure, we love Jesus. Sure, we praise Jesus. It's okay. You could be a member of that trade guild, that, that group there. And, you know, that it's got a little idol and we'll have a party. And it's okay. Don't worry about it. Beloved, the Bible is clear that there's no room for sexual immorality or idolatry in God's house and in God's people. It's clear. That is not a great issue. We're not to pick and choose our beliefs. We're to obey the Word of God. It's a reminder as well, we've got to be careful who we allow to stand here and in our Sunday school classes and everywhere else. We dare not just open the doors and say, oh, well, here comes a prophetess. Let her come in. Here comes a prophet. Let him come in. Here comes a preacher. Here comes a teacher. We want to make sure that they truly are people that believe and love and preach and teach this book. You better make sure I'm teaching you this book. You better be like Bereans. The Bereans were known why? Because they searched the scriptures to make sure those things were so. And so we have here the church of Thyatira. And they're allowing... That woman, can't you just hear the disgust in Jesus' voice? That woman, Jezebel, you allow her to teach and to carry on this wickedness. He condemns it, and he condemns her practice, and he will judge her and those who follow her. Well, we're going to hurry up. We're going to end on a high note again. We're going to find that Jesus here fourthly encourages the faithful believers. He encourages the faithful believers. It seems that not everybody was happy with Jezebel. David, they were a small minority. Maybe they were a small group. Maybe they tried, but they couldn't get their voice heard. Uh, they got outvoted or whatever. We don't know. But not everybody was living this wicked lifestyle. Because look what he says. Right after he gets done talking about Jezebel and her followers, verse 24. Now to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, doctrine of Jezebel, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. 
But hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessels. As I have also received from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus speaks to these faithful believers now. And he gives them some encouragement. These overcomers. Remember, the overcomers are those who are truly born again, true children of God. He tells them, first of all, I'll put no other burden on you. I won't give you any more burdens, anything else to carry. These true believers were no doubt grieved by Jezebel and her teaching and their practices. They were no doubt grieved by the church and those in the church who were practicing such things. Maybe even some in their own family. Jesus says, I won't give you any more burdens to bear. He encourages them, secondly, to hold fast their faith until he comes. Be faithful until I come. By the way, some see in that a reference to the rapture, a reference to Jesus is coming again. And he is coming again, beloved. Hallelujah. He is coming again. And it could be today. Thirdly, he reminds them that he would give them the privilege to reign with him over the nations. Now, remember, the overcomers are those who are faithfully serving the Lord, who know the Lord, truly born again. And so this is a message for us to reign over the nations. This is taken from Psalm 2, 7 through 9. Again, another reference to the Old Testament. Psalm 2, 7 through 9. Talking about him ruling with a rod of iron. We'll be allowed as believers, and think about this, we'll be allowed to rule with the Lord Jesus in the millennial kingdom. He will rule with a rod of iron. Uh, his will will be done exactly. He'll dash the pieces of the nations. And he's going to give us authority to rule with him. How all that plays out, I'm not sure. Exactly how all that works, I'm not sure. I'm just glad it happens because Jesus said it's going to happen. And we're going to rule and reign with him. He'll give us authority and responsibility. What a wonderful time it will be. And he promises them that they will rule and reign with him. He'll give them authority as he rules with a rod of iron. And then he says, and here's the exciting thing, he would give them the morning star. Did you notice that? I'll give them the morning star. Verse 28, and I will give him the morning star. But what is the morning star? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Well, I believe the morning star is Jesus Christ himself. You say, why, preacher? Well, if you keep reading in Revelation, you come to chapter 22, verse 16. The Bible says in Revelation 22, 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things of the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. He's the morning star. Jesus is saying to the overcomers, you'll get me. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to earn some rewards for heaven. In heaven. The Bible talks about we can earn rewards. And there's nothing wrong with looking forward to rewards because the Bible teaches them, teaches about them, tells us about them, how we can earn rewards and so forth and crowns. I believe we'll take them and we'll cast them at Jesus' feet. For he alone is worthy of honor, glory, praise, and adoration. But I want to earn some of those rewards. I think you want to earn some of those rewards. But you know what the greatest reward and the greatest gift to get in heaven is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's heaven because Jesus is there. Now, sure, we want to see our loved ones. I've got my, my fathers there, my grandfather, other loved ones, people I've known through the years, people I've pastored through the years, people from here, people from other places. We all have those we're looking forward to seeing. But you know what? Who are we looking the most forward to seeing? Jesus. The one who bore in his own body our sin. And he still bears the marks in his hands and his feet. And we look forward to falling before him and crying out before him and worshiping him. He says, listen, overcomers, I'll give you myself. 
the morning star. To know Jesus in His fullness. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we know in a mirror, uh, for now we see in a mirror rather dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And here's the question, boy. We've covered a lot of ground this morning, haven't we? Here's the question. What do we do with all this? What do we do with this message written to a church so long ago in Thyatira? It had a false teacher named Jezebel. They were in immorality, idolatry, all kinds of things. Jesus commends them for the good. He condemns the bad. Then He encourages them in the end. What do we do with all this? Well, I think the best thing we can do is to be honest with God and honest with ourselves. To be honest with ourselves. To examine our hearts and ask the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and see if there's anything in our heart and life or our church that is not what it ought to be. And if so, repent. Change our mind, change our direction, change our behavior. And that's what we need to do every time we come to the Word, right? Father, speak to my heart. Let me learn of you. Let me be submissive to your Holy Spirit's leading. If anything's wrong, help me to repent of it and make it right. But as I was studying this past week, something else came to light. I was scanning a message, a manuscript of a message that Pastor Stephen Davy preached on this passage. In his closing remarks, uh, he shared two things I thought were worth sharing with you. He mentions two lessons that we can carry from this passage. I'd like to give them to you this morning. Number one, Pastor Davies said that big sins can happen in in little churches. Big sins can happen in little churches. I might would expand that and say it this way. Big sins can happen in country churches. No, we're, oh, we're preacher, we're not in the big city. We don't listen. Big sins can happen in little churches and faraway places, and big sin can happen here if we're not careful. The second lesson he gave was worth sharing. I think is this: the effects of one person's sin can destroy the effectiveness of an entire church. The effects of one person's sin can destroy the effectiveness of an entire church. You see, we're a local church. We're one body. We're one in Christ. And no one in the church, no one, I don't care who you are, if you're part of this church, is insignificant to the ministry and reputation of this church. He wrote, in fact, wherever you work and live, the reputation of this body is whatever your reputation is. He says, we as a church body are a bunch of hypocrites, if you are. Liars and covetous and backbiters, if you are. Dishonest and unloving, if you are. Honest people of integrity, if you are. Pure and wholesome, if you are. Known for putting Christ in the kingdom of heaven first, if you're known for the same. Here's what I'm saying. You represent this body of believers. Wherever you go, whatever you do, wherever you work, whatever you say. Listen, we live in an area people know who you are. They know where you go to church, I hope. You've maybe been invited them to church. They're watching you. And if you're the only person they know here, then guess what they think about this church? They think about what they think about when they think about you. That makes sense. Did I say that right? You know what I'm saying? You say, well, you're the preacher. We understand that. Yeah, I know. I can't hide anywhere. I'll walk down the parade route to take Gideon to the floating back, and the people I'll be told, hey, preacher, hey, good to see you. <laughs> That's true about you, too. You represent this body of believers. 
And so people are looking at us, and the effects of one person's sin can destroy, can destroy the effectiveness of an entire church. We said in the Old Testament, don't we, of a man named Achan. Remember Achan in the Old Testament? They went in there to destroy it. Achan stole some of the goods, a bar of gold and a goodly garment, hid it in his tent. And God brought defeat upon the nation of Israel because of that one man's sin and disobedience. And listen, you and I personally can hinder the works of the Lord in this place. That's, that's an awesome thought. That's a scary thought. But it's the truth. And so we have to understand here, as he says in the end, verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now he closes his sermon with a prayer. And I don't often borrow from a sermon, but I borrow from this, those two points in this prayer. I want to pray it with you. I want to read it to you today. And we'll close in prayer. He said, Father, for us as believers, living in a sin-drenched culture, to say no to immorality or refuse to party with the crowd or to go along with the politically correct posture of our day might mean the loss of a job, being passed over for a promotion, to experience ridicule and slander. We would rather face their displeasure than yours. We would rather be ridiculed by the world than be rejected by you. We would rather lose friends than not have fellowship or your friendship. Help us to, as those in Thyatira were told, to hang on, to hold on to our testimony for you, knowing that there is a coming day when judgment will come and we shall with you judge the nations of the earth. Help us, Spirit of God, to stand for your truth, your narrow dogmatic, unwavering, liberating, redeeming truth. And help us to speak that truth in love, even this day, offering fellowship to those who will repent. Amen and amen. And now, Father, as we've been challenged again from your holy word, and this message that Jesus sent to the church at Thyatira, I pray your Holy Spirit would search our hearts personally, and then, Lord, corporately as a church body. May you have your will accomplished. May you help us to always speak the truth and love. Would you help us, O oh God, to not only stand for the truth, but to live out the truth in our lives day in and day out. Lord, help us to remember that although, as we said a moment ago, we represent this church body, an even greater responsibility is to realize we represent you. Help us to live lives that are pleasing to you. Help us to be valiant for the truth. Father, thank you for these promises of these great gifts that we'll get. Thank you for the privilege of getting to reign and rule with Christ. And Lord, thank you most of all that we get Christ, the bright and morning star. May you bless now as we close this service. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. We would invite you to come pray. There are chairs here on the front row. If you'd like to come and kneel or sit and pray, we would invite you to. Our closing song on your song sheet, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. O soul, are you weary or troubled? No light in the darkness you see.
There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I pray that we will not be a worldly church. We'll be a faithful church for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. His work shall not fail you. 